Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plans, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. That's it. Okay, good. Thanks for coming out on Memorial Day weekend. I love it. What's the deal? The spit zone is not filling up today. You guys are afraid I'm going to hit you with my, my spit this morning. So glad you're with us this morning. You can be a part uh, of a lot, lot going on. Whoa, what, what? Don't, let, don't flip through those yet. Thank you. Oh, jeez. There we go. Seth, come on. Me and you. Come on, baby. Oh, there we go. Oh, keep going. All right, here we go. Nope. Okay. <laughs> I guarantee you. What do you? I guarantee you this is not happening to Mariners this morning. I'm just kidding. Um, I, I just want to take a moment. We, we really want to take a moment because uh, I think because now that I have a son who's in the military, it gets a little more weighty, which it shouldn't. It should be weighty regardless. And we want to, uh, uh, I want to encourage you to pray, to talk with your families uh, about this weekend, really what we're doing. We're honoring those uh, who have fallen. And we don't want to forget. I, I do, gosh, part of my job, which I, I don't like, and, and it's a blessing to be able to do, is to do funerals. And the number one thing that I hear from families is, I don't want anybody to forget. I don't want them to forget. And uh, this is a, one of the ways that we want to honor. And Todd Winnay, uh, the Winnay family is an important family in our church. And... Uh, we love them, and, and Trevor gave his life for this country. Um, Rick and others built uh, like an incredible memorial at uh, the celebration of these men and women's lives at Northwood Park. And today at four, they do an honoring of, and uh, 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 just uh, we've been for years in a great time to go and honor those who have, have given their lives. Also, um, today and tomorrow, all day at Castaways Park in Newport Beach, there's a walking path that overlooks the bay that has said 1,776 flags of military names in, on them. It's a way to, if you have children, please, please stop this weekend and take some time. Let them know about where we live and the men have given their lives for something greater than themselves. Um, so um, I, I, I want to pray. I want to take a moment and pray this morning for, for families. Lord, I thank you for this country. God, I thank you for the men and women who have sacrificed. God, that we would not forget, Lord. God, I pray that uh, as, as, as we have dinners with our families and, and, and we remember, and, and Lord, that, um, that we are so blessed to live in this country. And Lord, I pray for those families who have lost loved ones, Lord, that you'd be with them. Um, Lord, comfort them this weekend. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 We are uh, in a series on discipleship that we've started a while back and, and talking about the importance of discipleship to a Christian. Discipleship is the mandate that Jesus gave us. It wasn't his suggestion. It wasn't something he just threw out there and said this would be fun. But it was a mandate that he gave us. 
yet the church kind of forgets and kind of just pushes it aside or does a program or, or talks about it once in a while. But it is, it is, it is a mandate that, that Jesus gives. Tim Keller said this, discipleship is not an option. It's not an option. Jesus says that if anyone would come after me, he must follow me. This great man, Tim Keller, who just passed about a week ago, um, produced disciples. And he said it's not an option, as does the Bible and as does Jesus. I'm going to read a scripture that pertains to um, to that this morning. It's Matthew 5, and, and most of us have read it and, and, and heard it, and I want you to think about it through the lenses of discipleship. It says this in 5.13. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it loses its flavor? Can you make it useful again? Will it be thrown out and trampled upon underfoot as worthless? You are the light of the world, a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light under the basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine before all. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. God, uh, I pray for your words, Holy Spirit, that you would move, that you would speak, that you would come into this place, that you would convict, that you would, uh, God, do miraculous things in our heart this morning, Father. Lord, that you give us the eyes to see that we would truly be lights in the midst of this darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I want to talk a little bit over the next couple of weeks really about the power of one. One is a powerful number. We don't think it is so many times, but it really is. And if you look at throughout history, history is changed by one man or one woman who's willing to step outside of themselves into something greater than themselves. It's a willingness to step outside of yourself into something greater than yourself. But it only takes one. Most of you, I'll add. How many people are watching hockey playoffs? I know section. Oh, gosh, this is good. Okay. Maggie's, of course, you're watching it back there. Um, there is one, in my opinion, there's one man that has changed the whole outcome of these playoffs thus far. And it's a goalie, of course, because goalies are the greatest athletes. <laughs> Bobrovsky, this, kid, this guy, kid, young, this man who plays for Florida, is playing out of his mind. In my opinion, they would not be, they, they barely made it in the playoffs, okay? Like the, the last week of the season, they made it in the playoffs. So they're like, you know, supposed to get swept. They play Boston, the great Boston team that actually had the best record in the history of the NHL. So it was supposed to be just be a walk. And this guy comes in, this team comes in, and they beat him. And then they beat Toronto, which that's, who cares? They beat Toronto, okay? <laughs> Sorry. Um, and then they, they just swept through um, the, the, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. But, but when you look, one man on the ice. Now, I understand there's a team and there's people around him but because of the way he's playing. And, 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 and what I want us to think about this morning, just a little bit, is that, that your life can impact the world in such a dramatic way. We don't think that way in our life. We're just like, oh, I'm just going to get on with my life. I'm just going to do my thing. But your life can make, one life can make a world of difference. Ezekiel 23, and I'm going to show you what that looks like this morning. 22, verse 30 says this. I looked for someone, I looked for someone 
who might rebuild the wall of the righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. And this is the scary part, but I found no one. I found no one. What is God looking for? What is God looking for? He's looking for just one. Just give me one. Give me, I always go there. Give me one teacher who's willing to stand in her class. Give me one businessman who's willing to stand in their business. Give me one mom who's willing to stand with her children. Just one. A man or a woman, someone to guard the land, to stand in the gap, to take a stand. Just one. I'm not asking for hundreds. It's what I love about this church. You know, now it's easy for a pastor of a small church that's just started to go, well, we just, we're intimate. That's why we're small. And we just want to build small. That's, that's what we always say, you know, it makes us feel better, you know, against the 10,000 mega churches or whatever. But there is something to one. What did God find in Ezekiel's day? Not one. Not a single one. He couldn't find them anywhere. See, there's this gap that happens in our walls. Walls are breached. Walls are meant to protect. It represents, uh, this gap represents the danger that was facing Jerusalem. As Ezekiel was talking, that the Jerusalem had some issues and the wall would surround the city of Jerusalem and it was broken down in a certain spot and that, that wall, if it wouldn't have been you know, regrouped and taken care of, would be the demise of that city. God's wrath is about to break through in judgment of a sinful city, Jerusalem. And this gap today looks very similar. It represents the danger facing America, our families, our marriages, our children. And, and, and there's these gaps in these areas in our lives. And God's bringing judgment. Here's the question that we all must ask ourselves. Is there any one who would in righteousness intercede, who would cry out, who would pray on behalf of this great nation, on behalf of our marriage, on behalf of our children? Is there just one who would seek the mercy of the Lord and cry out? Because God is searching for such men and women. He's looking. And the question is, what will he find today? Just one. Look, all of a sudden, when, when you talk in these terms, uh, scripturally, that, that we're, the Bible is just filled with just one man or one woman who said, yes, Lord. When it, it, it takes the whole world and it just brings it into this just little space of where you're sitting right now. And then all of a sudden, you start going, maybe there's purpose in my life. Maybe it's not just a job. Maybe I don't just live randomly in a city. Maybe I don't just happen to have four kids, two kids, one kid. Maybe all this isn't just by chance, throw the dice. Maybe, maybe just one will make a difference. 
See, these gaps, if, if there were breaches in the wall, defenders, what would happen? You had the wall. They, they would announce it, and all these defenders would run to that one place. What I love about the symbolism there is this, that it wasn't just one man that was running, but groups of men would run to the gap in the wall, and they would, they would have, there's a whole strategy behind fighting back the enemy that was coming in, and, and how they would go about it, and, and they would swarm to that location where there was a breach to get stability back into the city in which they were protecting. The gaps needed to be repaired as soon as possible. If the breach was left unattained, the city would fall. It would be all over. We have gaps in our walls today. We have gaps in our walls in our marriages. We have gaps in our walls with our children. There are gaps in the walls in this country. And God's going, who's going to stand? Who's going to stand? Who's going to walk and cry out for my mercy? Who's going to step into that uncomfortable place? Look, you got to imagine the wall is surrounding the city and there's a breach in the wall. You find out about the breach. The men, and, and, and they run to the breach. They don't run into safety. They run into difficulty. They run into harm. They run into difficulty that other people are trying to take you out. It's not an easy thing. It's not easy to stand in the gap in your marriages. God knows it's not easy to stand in the gap for your children. I say that, you know, yes, they're your children. You'll do anything for them, but it ain't easy. Lord knows we're not doing it in our country. See, there's these breaches, metaphorically speaking, in in our marriages that the walls have come down. And, and, and men, when I, I, I gave you that picture of, of men running to the gap, it's because of this. You may have a breach in your marriage where the wall has come down. Don't think that you're going to step in that gap alone and plug it up. In other words, you need to call other men that, you, that love you, love your marriage, that you trust, and have them come with you to that gap in the wall so that you can help rebuild it. There's no such thing as a loner Christian. There is God calling people, one man, one woman, to step into the fight. But once they step into the fight, it's others that come with you. See, so many times it just takes one to stand up. What I love about uh, what's going on in Florida with Bobrovsky, the goalie that plays for Florida, his play singularly elevates the rest of the team. They look at him and go, okay, if he can do it, we're with you. And in the same way, men, if, if, if you see that breach in your marriage, you step into If you see that breach with your kids and you step into it and you call other men or women, call other women into that with you. Not alone. But for some of us, that breach needs to be repaired today. That breach needs to be prepared today. What happened when just one stands up? We, we saw in Ezekiel's time, the city fell. We're seeing it happen in families. We're seeing it happen in marriages. Marriages and, and children, they're, they're, they're failing. 
But what happens when one stands up? What happens when one steps into the call? What happens when one says, I'm in? I don't care about what happens to me because that's a big thing. I don't care about what they say about me because that's a big deal. I don't care if I have to die in this place because we don't see a lot of that in America today. We're honoring soldiers that do that. But if we could get our men to do that in their homes, what might that look like? What happens when just one stands up? We see Moses in Exodus 32, 9 through 14, and it says this. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you talking to Moses. But Moses implored the Lord. He said, God, he said, oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did you bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them with the face, uh, consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from your disaster, the disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring and the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offsprings, and they will inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken to bring on his people. One man stood in the the midst of just complete sin and chaos. The, the, the Israelites had turned from God, completely turned from God, and forgot everything that God had done for them. And Moses steps in the gap, the breach, says, God, what might you do? And the Bible says this, and the Lord relented. The, the Lord relented. That, that, that just, that's just hope. Look, what, what I want to say to you today, if, you, if your marriage is in a place where there's a gap and there's been struggles, look, here's what I know. If you'll stand in the gap, if you'll bring others into the gap with you, the Lord will relent and bring peace. With your children, I, I, you know, I, I've been through it. I get it. I know it. I've got five. We've been all over the map. We've seen God's faithfulness with my family and with our kids, and there's been gaps, and, and we've had to stand in the gap. We've had to invite people in to stand in the gap with us, and I've watched God, and I've seen what he's done, and I've seen him relent. And, and my cry and my prayers for this nation is, oh God, that you would relent, that there would be men and women who would stand up and they would take their place in this nation and they would stand for righteousness, that they would stand for truth and it wouldn't be about what people say about them or what they're gonna think or what, what the news says or what the right or what the left says, but they're, they're, they're walking in the conviction of this word and who God has called them to be, regardless of the consequences. And the Lord relented. Just one. Just one. In Ezekiel's day, God found none. And judgment fell. Judgment came. In Exodus, God found one. And the Lord relented from the disaster. Just one. We talk about church and culture. I I usually do a thing before the message, and this falls right in the message and in talking about church and culture. And you can't separate the two. 
Church is supposed to drive culture. Unfortunately, today it's flipped and culture is driving church. But we need church to drive culture. And that's about one. That's about someone standing up. That's about someone taking ground and, 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 and taking a stand. And I, I want to look at a couple things in church and culture today. Let me just say, if you have young ones, there's some things in there. They're a little mature. They're, hopefully, they're back, back babies. They don't care. But um, the other older ones are in the back, hopefully. But there's a gap in the wall. The Reverend Billy Graham said this last week. He said, warn members of the Christian news media organization and others about a coming storm. The storm's coming, he said. Graham said this, believers in the United States are living in a cancel culture that wants to destroy Christian organizations. They want to destroy the church. We cannot back up. We cannot retreat, he says. Don't apologize for the gospel. Just declare it and just preach it. They want us to shut our mouths. They don't want, us to he- don't want to hear from us. If you're not going to preach the gospel, you don't have anything to worry about. If you're not going to take a stand, in other words, if you're going to go, oh, you have nothing to worry about. If you're not going to talk about sin, you're not going to have anything to worry about. But if you're going to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, the hope of this world, they're going to try and shut you up. Franklin Graham. I believe God is looking for one who's willing to stand. Target and the Dodgers. You know where I'm going. Target, the Dodgers, and a gap. There's a breach in our cultural wall. There's a breach in our cultural wall. I don't know if you saw Target last week. They have a a, a Satanist. He's self-proclaimed Satanist that is a designer that they bring into their store. One of, his, one of his shirts that is on the forefront at Target. Satan respects pronouns. Target's like, Target's like lifeline. for Target's like pizza for us. That's kind of funny. I mean, uh, being a fact. Uh, we, we love pizza and we love Target. Target, talk friendly. Hear about this one? Tuck friendly bathing suits so that your boy who wants to feel like a girl can tuck parts of his body in. Front and center, Target. You don't think there's a cultural battle going on? And the church goes, oh, you can't talk about that in church. Where else do we talk about it? You can't talk about it in church? This is the truth. And in fact, what, what Jesus says about the truth of his word is that they'll hate you because of it. Yeah, we see that. Oh, Dodgers. Gosh, love the blue. The Dodgers backtrack, reinvited the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to Pride Night. This group is, 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 makes a mockery of the Catholic religion. And, and the same Jesus, Catholics, we are, we are one with the Catholics, same Jesus. They make a mockery promoting sexual perversion. A few examples. Let me just give you a few examples of how this, how this works out for, for these, this, this group. The name is taken off a Catholic name like Sisters of Perpetual Adoration, but instead of adoration, they use indulgences. The slogan inverts Christ's words to the woman at the well where he says, go and sin no more, and their slogan is, go and sin more. The terminology 
An iconograph that they use in this group is based on Catholic religious life, but instead of using it to promote um, Jesus, it's sexual perversion. I, I can't even repeat, I, I was reading it, I can't even repeat what they do in, in public and the mockery of God. The blasphemous groups was founded in 79 on Easter, the most important holy days in, in, in our integral calendar. There's these cultural gaps. And the church doesn't want to talk about it. And the church doesn't want to step into it. There's these cultural gaps. And, 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 and we, we have to see the church. We have to see one. We have to see someone step in the gap. It's costly. But the Bible says very clearly, discipleship is costly. Look, this, this whole relationship with Jesus is free. I love it. Grace is free. I did nothing. I deserve nothing to come into this relationship and, get for, and, and to be forgiven. But once I come into this relationship, the Bible says it cost me my life. We don't preach that. What, what we like to preach, because it feels good, we like to preach Donuts. Gosh, no one's laughing this morning. This is, am I that serious? We like, to preach, we like to preach coffee and donuts. We like to preach, you know, come twice a month. It's all right. We like to preach things like, oh, you can give if you want. If you don't, don't worry about it. Oh, you can have sex and live together before marriage. Just, just, just you know, repent. Cultural Christianity. There's gaps. In our culture, who's going to step into the... See, what do gaps look like? They look like this. I don't want to offend anybody. Have you ever thought about that? I don't want to take a stand and offend anybody. Really? Wait, let's think about the logic of this. Someone can stand and offend me all day long, mandating that my children have to sit in school and watch a man dress as a woman on a stripper pole. Don't be offended by that. But, but I can't take a stand and go, no, 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 no. Live and let live. Don't, yeah, this one, they love the, you know, they, don't be a racist. I'm a racist because I, I, I believe in truth. Like, here's my stance. You want to wear whatever you want to wear and claim whatever you are, wherever you're at. God bless you. Lord, help you. That, that's not my business in that I'm not going to come in and demand you. But, but in the same side of the coin, you're not going to come in and demand that I have to put up with some of that. That would be interesting. I, I love these messages because um, I, you usually lose three or four people. I can't really afford to, but oh well, whatever. <laughs> it goes back to Chris says my gift, my gift of running people off. That's the gift that God gave me. Jesus says don't judge. You know what? You don't know your Bible. 
What the Bible is saying in that passage in Matthew is it's talking about self-righteousness. It's about you standing up there as, as, the, as the righteous man or woman and, 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 and judging and bringing judgment on people. No, 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 don't judge. We've talked about this. I did a series on it. The Bible doesn't say, in fact, as Christians, we must make judgments, but we don't make self-righteous judgments. Oh, they're just kids, really? Really? I wanted to be 50 different things, including a dinosaur when I was five. I, I, I say it all the time. I'll say it again. Look, look, there is no such thing as you can be whatever you want. If you believe in the scriptures, if you believe in God's word, you cannot say you can be whatever you want. Because Psalm 139 says this, that God very specifically created us with a thought in mind. And it says this, that he lays out each step before us before one of them come, comes to be. It says this of us, that God knew us intimately in our mother's womb and had a plan and purpose for us. So if God is God, and he's the creator, and he's omniscient and omnipotent, and he is all of these things that this Bible says, and I believe that he is, then I, do, I cannot be whatever I want. Look, just, I use this example every time. There is no way in heaven or on earth that I could be a doctor. That was funny, too. I know. You guys think I'm smarter than I am. Uh, Sean is one of the smartest guys I know, and we talk about it. I mean, in memory, he's a doctor, and, and I, I, my mind does not have the capacity to be a doctor. I cannot grasp scientific concepts or mathematics, and I can barely read. <laughs> I can't be whatever I want. Hudson, he's not here, so I'll pick him. He cannot be a ballerina. He's just not built. He'll just topple over. That big head, huge crash. <laughs> it's a lie that the world is, is, is putting out there. You can't be whatever you want. It's not my fight, really? Then whose fight is it? Whose fight is it? It's not my fight? Well, let's take it a little more personal. What about it when it's talking about your wife or your husband? Is it your fight then? What about when, it, when it's dealing with your children, with your babies? What about when they're talking about sex changes for five, six, seven-year-olds? Is it your fight then? At what point is it your fight? Because let me tell you this, my fight is not just my fight. My fight is your fight. His fight is my fight. What I know is this, Rick's fight is my fight. My fight is Rick's fight. And if I need to go to battle, that man will be here. That man will be here. This man, I, I could go through this church. You know why? Because it's not my fight. It's our fight. Jesus says, love your enemy. And dear God, I, I pray and I look at, they're not my enemy. They're, they're enemy against the gospel. But I'm like, oh God, have mercy on them. At any point in my heart changes from, from oh God, have mercy, oh God, and, and becomes hardened and I start making those jokes that we like to make and stuff then I'm in sin. We should have a reverence for what's happening. We should be broken in our heart that we've got to watch this happen. Not the jokes and not the self-righteousness, not the, the judgments, but a brokenness for sin. Gaps look like excuses because I don't want to fight. It's too much work. It costs too much. 
looking for one. God, God's just looking for one. Give me one. Give me that man or woman that's willing to. And, and it's not even how you come up to the wall because there's a lot of times we just get into that gap and we just go, oh, God, and we're like this. It's not even with this great, you know, bold, I'm going to the wall. No, it's like we're tiptoeing because we know we're going to take a shot and shot after shot. And, and we're calling our friends. We're going to come to stand in the gap with me. For, for some of you, you men in here today, in your marriages, you need to go, you need to bring some men into that gap and, and, and you're going, man, I, I can't get these thoughts out of my mind or I'm, I'm looking at something I shouldn't look at. I, men, help me, keep me accountable. For some of you with your children, there, there's these gaps and, and, and we just went through and had a, a CCW class for the church, which is wise. Um, but I give you my word, not everybody will carry it once because we don't want crossfire and to lose everybody at one time. <laughs> so uh, we will be organized in our CCW, right, Justin? Very organized. Um, uh, and, and so I'm, I'm learning about guns. I was never a huge gun guy, you know, but I'm learning about guns and, and, and everything that goes with them. And, and as I was thinking about this, is, is we're talking about gaps, and we're talking about there's, there's these gaps in the walls of, for our children. And, 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 and the, I was talking to a young man I was playing hockey with this week, and he's got two young kids. And he's like, what would you tell me? What's the one thing you'd tell me about kids? And I said, and, and just like, I, said I would never give them a gun. And I don't mean that Literally. It's a metaphor. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, I would never give my kid a phone until, I said, high school. And even at that point, I would be dogmatic. I would know everything. And I didn't, I didn't do that. And, and it, that gap in our children's life, that men, that some of us need to step into, is this. No, you're not going to have a phone with whatever you want on it. It's like handing your child a gun, and you'd never do that. Would you hand your child a loaded gun? Absolutely not. And let me tell you what's going on there with TikTok and, and Internet and all that crap. And yes, I was going to say the S word, but I went with crap because I don't know. But I went with it. <laughs> and, 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 but all that stuff that's on there is like handing your child a loaded gun, and you can't unwind that picture. Yeah. Dear God, have mercy. And there's gaps, and we've got to step into them as parents and, and, and take it back. One godly man or one godly woman can make a dramatic difference, even in the darkest circumstances. It's pretty dark right now. Some of you feel like it may be pretty dark in your marriage, or maybe you feel like it's pretty dark with my kids, or... Or, or wherever it might be. And, and God, it's just, just one person. Step into that gap and then call the rest with you. Just one. Just one. Jesus says it this way. You are the salt of the earth. Or you're the salt of the earth. You, you, you bring flavor. You bring life. Then he goes on. That's the beginning of his ministry. And then at the end of his ministry, he says, now go, therefore, and go make disciples. So he has these two Two strong positions. One, you're the light. Two, go make disciples. Why? why? What, is, what does that mean? What does it mean is this. When you're the light in the midst of darkness, we bring others into the light and, and, and produce disciples. Look, we, 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 too many times the church just thinks that the light or being the light is inviting them to church. Hey, just come to church with me. 
Too many times we think that discipleship is just, you know, taking a meal to someone or whatever. No, no, no. Literally, discipleship is, is being intimate in someone's life. Taking some time. I, I, I am literally taking different men in our church that I have a relationship and going, okay, here's the deal. This your church? You don't have a choice. Everybody has a choice, but I'll bust your chops until you'll run away. But I am, I am, the Bible says that we're to disciple men. Women, the Bible says that you're to disciple women. And I'm grabbing people one-on-one going, who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? With Eddie, I got to go, stop discipling too many. You can't do them all. I'm like, too many, overwhelming. Who are you discipling? You want to know how we're going to change our culture? One person steps in. Grabs one person and pours her life into them, who pours her life into one person, who pours her life into one person, and so on and so forth. It's, you know, kind of what Jesus did with 12 that changed the world forever. Now we got 7.8 billion people in this world, uh, and 2 billion people claim to be Christians because of one. It's crazy how it works. I'm going to talk about that next week exponential multiplication when you pour your life into others. Just one. Just one. The reality is you might be the one bit bit of salt in your family. You might be it. You might be just, you're the only grain of salt in your place where you work. You might be the only grain of salt in your classroom with the other kids. You might be the only grain of salt in your neighborhood. You might be the only grain of salt on that playing field. You might be the only grain of salt that will walk into that dry cleaners with that woman that I see every week and she charges me too much for my clothes. But I might be the only grain of salt. You. Just one. Just one. See, because the heart of God is for one. Whoa, wait a second. The heart of God is for everyone. The heart of God is for one. I'll I'll show you that is true, but look at this. Matthew 18, 12. What do you think if a man has 100 sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go to search for the one that went astray? He went for the one. He knew what he had with the 99. He went for the one. The power of one. 7.8 billion people in the world today. Why does discipleship matter? Because the only way we're going to touch 7.8 billion people, which I believe can happen, is to start with the one. See, the heart of God actually is this, not wishing that one should perish, none. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. That not one would perish, not one neighbor not one coworker, not one friend, not one family member, not one Del Taco worker, not one Ruth Chris worker, not one gas station attendant, not one anybody, that none would perish. Because the heart of God, the heart of God is that every human would know him. That they'd have an intimate relationship with him. That they would know the creator of heaven and earth and that they would walk in the purposes that he created them for on this earth. So what's Jesus' mandate to the church to do? Go make disciples. Go make disciples. What is Jesus asking this little church to do? Go make disciples. Grab a hold of someone. Pour your life into them. 
go make disciples. Now, it's easy to walk away from a message. Oh, that was a great message. But I, I, practically, what does that mean? What does that mean? We're getting there. But you've got to come next week to figure that out. Um, it is a mandate that God's called us to do. What we're going to walk in as a church. I'm going to ask you to pray and seek and ask God. Who's the one? Who's the one you're calling me to pour my life? I'm not asking you to take 12. I'm not asking you to take six. I'm just saying, God, is there one that God has connected you with that maybe you have coffee with, that maybe you just a step ahead of, that you just pour your life into a bit? Who is that? The power of one. Next week, I want to talk about the multiplication of discipleship and who God's calling you to disciple. What does that look like? I'll give you some, some feet to this so that you can grab a hold of it and that you might be able to run with it. As the musicians come up and we get ready to receive communion, um, this is who we believe God has called us to be. Men and women who are in the word. Men and women who pray. Men and women who worship. And, and when we do that each and every day, it's the definition of a relationship. It's what God's calling us to. Who he's calling us to be. As we, we stay in this attitude of worship, and this is the time that we receive communion. If you're a guest here today, we receive communion each week. We believe it's a holy moment. We do it each week, and we do it at stations so that you can grab your family and you can receive communion together. The Bible says this, in the night that Jesus betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that was broken for you. He said, when you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. In other, in other words, remember what I did for you. Remember what I'm doing for you. And then he took the wine that represented his blood and he said, this, this represents my blood that was spilled for you, that you might have life, that you might have eternal life. We have communion stations in the front and two in the back. And, but before you get up to receive communion, it's a time to examine our hearts. For some of us, it's a time of repentance. Oh, God, forgive me. What a great time to just realign with the cross. For some of you, it's, it's taking those worries and just laying them at the feet of the cross. Those concerns and just lay them at the feet of the cross. For all of us that have a relationship with Jesus, it's a time of celebration and thankfulness for what he did for me, for you, some 2,000 years ago. It's a holy moment. And we treat it as such. It's a family moment. And it's special. And that's why we do it each week. So before you come up and receive, just take a moment and examine your heart. See what the Holy Spirit might say. And then come up and receive the elements. Father, I thank you that we can receive communion as a remembrance of who you are and what you've done. God, that we're forgiven. Oh, God, thank you. God, forgive me for my selfishness. Forgive me for my foolishness. Oh, God, have mercy. 
God, help me to be that man or that woman that stands in the gap. God, help me to be that man or that woman who will stand in the gap of my marriage with my children in this nation. As we receive these elements, Lord, that we would be thankful and celebrate. In Jesus' precious name, amen.